We're going to continue with our journey uh, of joy through the book of Philippians, which we started a few Sundays ago, and we're continuing to go through chapter one here uh, with this particular emphasis on joy in jail that the apostle Paul writes about to the Philippians today. And it's interesting as he is writing from jail to the church in Philippi, this is one of his prison epistles. Uh, you might recall that if you go back to Acts chapter 16, in, in a sense, the, the church of Philippi was planted with Paul and Silas being in jail. And it was said at that time from Dr. Luke, as he gives the account of what happened uh, at the church of Philippi, that when Paul and Silas were in jail at about midnight, were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So Paul has got a, 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 a lot of experience of experiencing joy even in jail. And in our mind, we're thinking, why would you put the Apostle Paul, the greatest evangelist, the greatest Christian ever lived, in jail and inhibit his ministry like that? Well, that's just sort of the way God works sometimes, right? It's the same way he works in you to bring about sanctification through the trials and the tribulations of life. Many of us have just finished a summer book study through Pilgrim's Progress. The ladies on Thursday night, the men on Thursday morning. And one of the wonderful truths of this principle, this joy in jail, comes in that great truth. John Bunyan was a Baptist minister. Therefore, his doctrine didn't jive with the doctrine of the Church of England. Uh, and there were people in the Church of England that wanted to silence him. So they threw him in jail. This is in the day where there was nothing more political than religion. So in jail, though, he would get to his window and he began to preach the gospel and crowds from all of Bedford, include, uh, 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 including the, the prisoners when they would listen to him preach the word of God. So not to be thwarted, those in the Church of England that were opposed to the gospel decided we're going to throw him in the inner court of the jail, the very dungeon of the jail, and that'll keep him silent. Well, that's when he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. That for something, some two or three hundred years was the most printed book, second only to the Bible. So the gospel went because of the joy that Paul, uh, John Bunyan experienced in jail. The gospel went from New Bedford to the whole world because of that wonderful, wonderful book of Pilgrim's Progress. The same sort of thing can happen to us. If we will experience joys in our trials, and I think that you're going to find that Paul's demonstration of joy for the journey of this life, even in the most difficult circumstances of jail, uh, will also help us to have joy in our difficult circumstances. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do turn to you in faith and we pray, God, that as, as we look at this, none of us ever want to experience jail. We can hardly think of anything worse to experience. And yet, Lord, what you're going to show us today in your words is even in the most dire circumstances... We can be above them because our faith is in the Lord and we can have joy. So I pray, God, that we would go to school again on the Apostle Paul, his great example, that he would give all the, all the glory and credit to you as we look at this passage and that we, we go back some 2,000 years ago and understand the context, the perspective of what we see here in Holy Scripture and be able to apply it to our own lives and the lives of others as well. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Again, please turn to Philippians. We're going to be looking at chapter 1, verses 12 through 18a today. This is, of course, the epistle of joy. Paul is in Rome. He is appealed to Caesar, so he is in custody in Rome. And he begins here with verse 12. God says, the apostle Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, 
that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. You might find your home group helps insert of assistance to you as we break down this, uh, this passage here with three different uh, headings here. We're going to see joy in jail in verses 12 through 13, joy in jeopardy in verses 14, and then joy in jealousy in this, uh, verses uh, 15 through uh, 18a. First of all, we see here joy in jail here. And again, you remember that Paul had a burning desire to preach the gospel in Rome. Rome, at this point, is the capital of the world, at least the Mediterranean world, the Roman world. Uh, and all roads lead to Rome. And Paul knew that if he can affect that center of government, that center of commerce, the great Rome of antiquity, that the gospel would go out from all of those roads that lead to Rome back out into the, the corners of the earth. Some five years before, he actually even wrote to Romans in Romans chapter 15, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, but I uh, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing when I go to Spain. And am helped my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing uh, aid to the saints. So Paul wanted to go to Rome. His desire, his vision, his goal, his plans were to go to Rome and, and to preach in the synagogue, to visit the, the, the homes of the Christians, to be part of their Sunday morning worship, to be part of their home groups, to be part of their community fellowships, to meet various people, to help slaves and to help master and to, to help them grow in their faith. He wanted to go into the marketplace like he did in Athens uh, and, and like he did in Crete, like he did in Macedonia, like in, uh, he did in Greece. Uh, and God had other plans. <laughs> Have you ever had dreams thwarted? Have you ever had goals thwarted? Have you ever had these wonderful, grandiose thoughts of what you're going to do and then it not work out but turn out completely different? Well, that's exactly what's happened to the Apostle Paul. There's even an ominous ring in that Romans 15 passage because he says, I want to come to Rome, but first I got to go to Jerusalem. What happened in Jerusalem? A mob rose up. He was thrown in jail. He was in jail for Caesarea for two years. He finally, out of desperation, perhaps that perhaps uh, the Lord, Lord moved him to do so, he appealed to Caesar. He was taken in, a, in chains in a boat. The boat wrecked on Malta. Uh, then he uh, got another ship, finally made his way to Rome, and he is now under house arrest uh, in Rome. So it, it didn't turn out the way he thought it was, and yet, Paul, ever the faithful man, ever putting his hope in the Lord, sees there's real opportunity here. Amazing opportunity here. 
He wants to, he says, I want you to know all this happened to me. He doesn't go through all the details here. Uh, he has just given them something of a report. One reason why he wrote this letter is so that the Philippians will know how he's doing, and they're concerned about him. Matter of fact, they're so concerned, they sent Epaphroditus with a gift to help uh, offset his cost here. Uh, and they're asking the question, how are you feeling? Are you well? Has the snake bite healed? You know, that kind of thing. And, uh, and he's trying to get back with them. And he says, this, and he just kind of sums up, what's happened to me? Now, with, with us, we would have given a long account of all the trials and the tribulations and the difficulties that we've gone through. You know, as, uh, as I flew to California, I had several delays, and we sat on the tarmac for an hour and 15 minutes waiting for the caterer to replenish the peanuts on the airplane. And I was and, and I and I, you know, I read a book on contentment every single day because it's not a natural virtue of mine. And I was sitting there thinking I will be content with waiting for an hour and 15 minutes in the heat, waiting for the peanuts. Actually, they were pretzels. It's even worse, you know, but uh, and I thought I am not going to let this diminish my California trip, you know, but but I love telling that story because we all have a little bit of martyr. And, and you know, oh, poor Dr. Campbell was sitting on that airplane waiting for his peanuts. We, we like we like that, right? And if there was ever a sympathetic ear, it'd be the Philippians. They love Paul. I mean, you can just see Paul saying, hey, can you believe it? We, we, we get in a shipwreck and then a snake comes out and bites me in the middle of the fire. I mean, you know, you can just see that. He just, no, it's just what, it's just what happened to me. You know why? Because everything that happened to him, even the snake coming out and biting him while he was trying to dry off from the shipwreck, came from the hand of the Lord, and he knows the Lord loves him. And he knows that a snake bite can be used for the glory of God. So he says here, it's really served to advance the gospel. Now, this is shocking to us, isn't it? We think, how in the world, by putting the greatest Christian to ever live in jail, how can that serve the advancement of the gospel? I mean, talk about putting a positive aspect of things, but again, it's because his faith is in God. He knows he is not a prisoner of Rome first, but a prisoner of the Lord. He actually mentions that in several situations. So he, 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 is, he is going on understanding that providentially God takes care of everything, including the injustice that he has been going through. When people sin against you, it's wrong, and you ought to correct it, rebuke, uh, defend yourself at times, and that kind of thing. But understand that whatever happens comes through the hands of a God who loves you who has a purpose for your life, who has promised that he's going to cause all things to work together for good to those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. So he can have, he's not a Pollyanna. He's a Paul. He's not a Pollyanna. He's not just, you know, putting a, a happy face on things, even though he's miserable. He understands, he's, I mean, he's in, he's changed to a Roman soldier. He knows how bad things can be, but he sees everything from the hand of his Lord. One of the wonderful examples that Jesus teaches about this is, is uh, an example of nature. Matthew 10, 29 says this, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care? Something as minor, as unnoticed by almost everybody, of a sparrow, I mean, the most common, sparrows are like brown and white, right? They're just the most common birds in the world. You might notice a bluebird, you might, a sparrow, just him landing from the tree to the ground. That was ordained by the Lord. That was ordained by the Lord. How much more your cancer, your business woes, your rebellious child, your disappointing grandchild, the, 
the disappointment of Washington, D.C. and Columbia, South Carolina, the laws that are coming. How much more if God cares about when a, bear, a bird goes from the tree to the ground and has ordained that, how much more the movement of nations, how much more the health of his children that he loves. This ought to just make us be full of joy no matter what we are going through. That he cares. I don't care about when a bird goes from the ground, especially a sparrow. You know, we don't even notice them. I love a Johnny Erickson Todd was talking about going to the zoo one time and one of the, you know, the bird, like there's a great one in Columbia Riverbank Zoo. There's a bird uh, place, a, an aviary. I knew that. Uh, it's a blue uh, bird aviary. And, uh, and, and you got these, you know, you got cockatiels, you got all these exotic birds and everything. But almost in every one of the cha- uh, those, uh, those cages, there's a little sparrow just going in and getting the scraps. And there's no sign. The, the, the signs all say, you know, this is the uh, variegated vulture from Botswana, you know. This is the cockatoo from Australia. There's never a sign that says, this is just a sparrow from Columbia, South Carolina. No one cares. God cares. God cares. God didn't send his son to die for that sparrow. He sent his son to die for you. Everything that comes into your life, including jail, should be reason for us to have joy. And this is part of what Paul is writing about. He says it's going to advance the gospel. That idea of advance is to move out like a pioneer. But it also includes this, this, this principle of going against obstacles. Going against obstacles. So how is it that the gospel has advanced in jails? He says, so it's become known to you out the, without the whole, throughout the whole imperial guard. Now, I have switched. I have been in the New American Standard my entire career. And I've bent to the pressure to start using English Standard Version. I like ESV in many ways. Most of you have ESV. So I have now, now using ESV. Here's where ESV's got it wrong. It really shouldn't be imperial guard. It should be, should be more properly Praetorian guard. There is an imperial guard, but the Praetorian guard was a special kind of guard. They were the bodyguards, the purple-wearing bodyguards that you see that protected the Caesars. Uh, and uh, they, they, were, they were the cream of the crop. They were the special forces of the Roman army. They would serve anywhere from 12 to 16 years. And when they got out, they got a huge stipend and great honors. They became so influential, they began to, of course, uh, counsel the emperors and even became kingmakers where they might decide who is actually going to be the next emperor. So because Paul appealed to Caesar and he's therefore, in a sense, Caesar's prisoner in Rome, the imperial guards had the responsibility for taking care of the apostle Paul. So he says here that, that, that the gospel has been known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard, the most elite of the elite of the Roman army, and Rome loved its army, used it all the time. These guys are getting the gospel. And then he gives greetings from all the rest. This may have been, as he mentions in chapter 4, Caesar's household. So the imperial guard are hearing the gospel from the apostle Paul and all the visitors coming and going. Then they're sharing that gospel to others. And then, so you've literally got a situation. Had Paul come to Rome and gone to the synagogue and gone to the house churches and gone to the home groups and gone to Sunday school and gone to the fellowship meal of sandwiches and salads, uh, they may never have heard a thing. But the fact that he's a prisoner being guarded by people who have influence in Caesar's household, Caesar's household is getting saved. 
And he sees this. Now, I'm sure he had times of self-pity, but it sure doesn't show, does it? He knows that self-pity is a terrible sin. And he says, this is my imprisonment for Christ. He never saw himself as a prisoner of Rome. He didn't see himself as a victim, which is radical in our age, isn't it? He saw himself uh, that, that, that he is uh, in prison. This idea of prison means bonds made with chains. He speaks himself in the Ephesian, to the Ephesians of the ambassador in chains. We know from Acts chapter 28 that he was in his own rented quarter. So it wasn't as bad as it could be. It will be later on when he writes to 2 Timothy. He's not in a dungeon. He's in a house. He's renting a house. But he's chained to a Roman guard. The, 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 they estimate that what he is, he's basically handcuffed 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, with an 18-inch long chain to a guard. Those guards chained, chained, came uh, every six hours. So there's four different guards in a 24-hour period. So he can receive visitors. He could have meals and all that kind of stuff. But he had absolutely no privacy. For you introverts, this is a nightmare. A nightmare. No privacy. But he's got a captive audience, doesn't he? <laughs> so here's the Roman. Paul's up there talking about Jesus and the Romans up there. Roman soldiers up there. But he's starting to catch on, right? I mean, you can almost see these guys in the barracks, you know. Oh, you know, I get to go be with Paul today. And then the other guy who doesn't want to be a Christian. Oh, I can't believe I got to listen to this guy for all those hours, you know. But the, eventually, time after time, rotation after rotation, shift after shift after shift. A lot of them are getting saved, evidently. And he says, this has been such a wonderful, it's all working out. Paul knows he's not being punished for sin. He's being punished actually for righteousness, for taking a stand for Jesus Christ here. And all of Caesar's household is hearing about his example. But it wouldn't have been an example if he had been, woe is me. If he had given an illustration about waiting for an hour and 15 minutes in a hot airplane for peanuts. It wouldn't have been an example. But his example was that they could not, they were mesmerized by this man. What is it with this Jesus guy that his followers could be filled with joy in this situation? This is so unlike the priests of Zeus or the followers of Athena or, or uh, the Stoics who just grin and bear it. You know, it's, uh, it's so interesting uh, Stephen Lawson says this, we must be persuaded that whatever obstacles we face in our witnessing, they are not implements to the message of Jesus, Jesus Christ. Rather, what we view as obstacles are often opportunities to further the advance of his saving message. God will allow you to go through trials and difficulties for the rest of us. For the rest of us. You know, we all have an interest when someone comes up with a bad medical uh, uh, report because we all know that could be us one day and we're all watching and we're all we're all we're all praying for that individual but it becomes very personal when it's close when it's in the church when it's in the family isn't it one reason why we're going through that is for the sake of the body we become so self-focused and we wallow in self-pity we actually end up ruining the very joy that could be theirs be ours through the difficulty uh, the great example would be Joseph in the Old Testament, right? Sold into slavery by his brothers, um, betrayed by Potiphar's wife, forgotten uh, by the cupbearer and the, and, the, um, and the baker. 
But at the end of Genesis, he tells his brothers who were terrified that he was going to be vindictive because that's what people do. He says, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he was made me the father to Pharaoh and lord of this household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Had Joseph not been sold into slavery by his scallywag brothers, had he not been betrayed by Potiphar's wife and all those other things the people of God would have ceased to exist because they would have starved to death because they would not have survived seven years of famine. But God sent his man ahead to bring in the grain, to make that grain available so that not only his people, but Egypt itself survived during that ordeal. We happen to know that because we've read it. God's very likely not going to tell you why you're going through what you're going through. But there is just as much reason that you're going through these things as Joseph went through, as Paul is going through this. Uh, and, and, and the problem is, is our whole culture is bent towards comfort, towards convenience. We're a soft people in many ways, and a soft people makes for a soft Christianity. And in truth, one of the best things that could happen to the church is the difficulties to come. And, and no one wants that. I mean, you're a little weird if you want difficulties. But I think about prosperity breeds, breeds complacency. Complacency breeds compromise. Compromise breeds a shallow form of mediocrity, mediocre Christianity. A Christ without a cross, discipleship without cost. We just, we just don't want to be inconvenienced by things. And I think what the Lord's going to do is going to show us that he loves us and that he wants the glory enough to bring difficulties into our lives. We tend to take our faith much more seriously when it costs us something. Those of you who are members of this church, you've got skin in the game. You've got skin in the game. You're going to be less likely just to say, to heck with this church, I'm, not le uh, you know, I'm leaving. Those of you who are tithing, you've got skin in the game. It's cost you to keep the lights on and support this ministry. Uh, and, 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 and you're willing to take a stand because of those costs, because of those difficulties. Uh, those of you who are parents, for all the, the blood, sweat, tears, and money that you've spent raising those little children, you're not just going to say, well, the heck with you. I don't want to deal with you anymore. You'll stay in the fight. That love will, will keep you there because that love is agape love, that self-sacrificing kind of love that we've experienced, that we ought to experience for one another. You know, the goals of our culture, again, are just comfort, convenience, to be left alone, and to get things done. That's, that's the way we are. To be left alone and to get things done. And, we, and we, we, we wince at things that don't go right for us. Have you, have you ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? It's a great read. I mean, it's, you know, it's a downer. It's about Christians being burned to death at the stake, especially during Bloody Mary's uh, time. One of the interesting things about Fox's Book of Martyrs is when you would often see an evangelical Christian being taken to the stake to be burned... Because he had the audacity to read the Bible. Because he refused the mass. Whatever it might be. They would often come up to that stake. With the wood all around them. And the oil right there. Wearing nothing but a, a linen shroud. They would often come up to that stake. And they would hug it. And they would kiss it. Because they saw that very difficult trial. There's not a one of us who wants to be burned to death. That very difficult trial. Is their avenue to eternal glory. To seeing the Lord face to face. They would kiss it. They would kiss it. 
And imagine what that did for the encouragement of all the other people that were around there. Jesus says in John 16, 33, in the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Now we see here joy and jeopardy in verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, that's interesting. If you go forward in time, the, the last letter that Paul wrote while in prison to Timothy, um, you, 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 you see the, the, the honest assessment of where he is, but also with that same kind of confident joy in 2 Timothy 2. He says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended of David according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who were chosen so that they may obtain the salvation, which is Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. Isn't that interesting? Paul didn't think, well, if people are chosen, they're just going to get saved anyway. He's like, no, I'm enduring all these things so that they, those chosen people, that I could be the vehicle for the gospel to those chosen people. They still got to get the gospel. They still got to get a preacher. You don't know who's chosen. You don't know who's not chosen. And this is a consuming interest in Paul. I'm going to be the one that leads people to Christ. But he understands this. He has suffered hardship. He's, again, he's not a Pollyanna. He's not just daydreaming about this stuff. But he sees, even though he's in prison, guess what? The word of God is not imprisoned. The word of God is not imprisoned. But, he's, but, but, but because the word of God is not in chain, it's not in prison, it, it, it seems sort of counterintuitive when he says that most of the brothers haven't become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are, are speaking more, more boldly. So the Roman church is actually inspired by Paul's imprisonment. Now, have you ever read that and you thought, why? Wouldn't, wouldn't it, if, if, if stormtroopers came in right now and arrested me, um, and took me into the back of a stormtrooper car. Uh, stormtroopers. Stormtroop, storm is that Star Wars? That's Star Wars, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> anyway. Uh, and took me away. Would that make you more bold? Would y'all get up this pulpit? Well, Campbell's gone. Now I'm going to preach the gospel. It might. It might. If I was smiling. <laughs> if I was rejoicing in the trials and the tribulation, right? And this is where Paul was. I think Paul, he used, he saw this coming from the hand of God. He recognized the difficulties of imprisonment, but he maintained his joy. And you know what they thought? They saw him. They said, I could do that. I could do that. Some of you have gone through cancer. That encourages the rest of us. Some of you have gone through the loss of a loved one. So we see you going through that trial and we think maybe we could go through that. Maybe we could be more bold here. So they're, they're much more bold and without fear. It's just amazing. The, um, I, it's hard to come up with something that's worse than jail, right? That's worse than prison. And yet, even in the most difficult situations, Paul says you can have joy. Why is that? Well, James gives us some insight. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's because it's the difficulty that actually brings you to your ultimate goal. Your ultimate goal as a Christian is just in you because of the Holy Spirit. You want to glorify God. And you know that to glorify God, you've got to be able to 
shepherd your emotions, discipline your body. You can't be just given over to fits of emotions and, and feelings all the time and things like that. You've got to be able to do that. That doesn't happen usually with just success and everything. It usually happens through amount of pain. And Paul's persecution, as Paul's persecution increased, the Romans' faith increased all the more. So that what Jeremiah says of you is true. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by water that extends its roots by stream. And will not fear when the heat comes. But its leaves will be green and it will not be, he will not be anxious a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. That really can happen. That really can happen. Then we see here joy and jealousy here. He talks about two types of preachers. There's some who preach Christ from envy. Uh, and th this, is, this is perplexing, isn't it? Like, why are they preaching Christ to get at the Apostle Paul? Have that ever confused you? It's confused me. But, but I had a whole bunch of time to read up on it, so I now know the answer. Uh, but they, they, they basically got to where they saw Paul as a rival. And they're preaching Christ to get at Paul. Now, why would the, some of these preachers see Paul as a rival? Perhaps one of the reasons why so many preachers see, uh, see uh, the gospel as a rival in many ways. But let me give you five options, maybe. They resented his God-given abilities. Paul was a scholar. He was fluent in multiple languages. He was trained in the law. He had probably memorized huge portions of the Old Testament. He had uh, accredited a certain amount of fame, which, of course, Paul says later on, that's all rubbish compared to the passing, surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ. But they were jealous of him. He was just good at what he did, okay? Perhaps they were intimidated by his apostolic credentials. You know, they've been, hey, we've been working on this church of Rome. since We came here since Pentecost, and you show up, and you expect to be over us. You know, we don't like that kind of thing, uh, kind of a bent against authority. They thought maybe his imprisonment was God's judgment against them. You know, this was the view of the Jews so many times. If anything bad happened to you, it's because you've sinned. So, so there must be something with Paul. Why does why do, why did he get bitten by a snake? Why does he get thrown in jail? Why does this keep happening to him? How come never things never seems to work out for him? He must be harboring some sort of secret sin or something like that. Or they think, hey, listen, this is your fault. People told you don't go to Jerusalem. They hate you in Jerusalem. You show up in Jerusalem, you get thrown in jail. Now look what happened. You know, so you you know you made your own bed. You just need to lay in it. Quit bothering us. Or he's bringing a lot of attention to the church. A lot of attention to the church. I've already told some of you, but when I was in California, uh, I, I had my Christ Reformed t-shirts on, you know, because that's, frankly, the only t-shirts I own. And, uh, and I had my, and, and, and several times, I'd be walking around Santa Barbara in, in my t-shirt or Los Angeles in my t-shirt, and someone would come up to me, I like your t-shirt. And then they'd scurry off, you know, you know, <laughs> you know, because this is the left coast, you know, you're not supposed to be Christian. It's a very blue state, that kind of thing. I mean, but they always whispered, like your t-shirt, <laughs> you know, and then they'd leave, you know, you, you, you would expect that maybe to happen with them when the leader of the Christian church gets thrown in jail and they don't want this attention. But we don't know the, the reason why, but it's obviously happened. And he says their motive is envy. Y'all, if there was ever a, a putrid sin, it's envy. 
And, it's, and, and, and the thing with envy is it's not so much they want what you have as they don't want you to have it. And envy, envy is one of those temptations that the closer you are to someone, the more likely you could be tempted to envy them. So they're envious of Paul's ministry, the number of people who've been uh, converted to him and that kind of thing. And that brings about strife, which means a heated contention, quarreling, wrangling of words, unhealthy debate, that kind of thing. So there's, there, there's, there's, there's problems in the church here because of these envious pastors. But he has, there's another type, though. He says others preach from good will, and the, the latter do it out of love. They love Paul, and they say, listen, Paul can't go out and preach. I'm going to go out and preach. There's a loyalty there that he, that he seems to applaud. He says the former preached Christ out of rivalry, rivalry, not sincerity. There's a selfish ambition here. They're actually working for hire. They're like being paid to carry out some kind of devious deed. And, they, and evidently they're doing this to rub salt in Paul's wounds. Now, by the way, folks, you know, we have this mentality. Well, they're Christians. They shouldn't act that way. You must be new to the church. Christians can be wicked at times. Envious, strife, preaching so that Paul hears that I've been preaching and he knows that I don't like him and it's going to make him uncomfortable in jail. So I'm going to make the chains even heavier for him. And these people are probably believers. You know what's interesting? They're He's applauding the fact that the gospel is preached. They're not preaching a false gospel. They're not preaching all good people go to heaven. You know, they're not preaching a syncretistic religion. Well, uh, Zeus is actually Yahweh. They're not doing that. They're actually preaching what, you know, what we, the kind of thing that we preach right? right out of the Bible. But it's their motives that are that are the problems here. And they want to cause him discomfort in his in his imprisonment. They have a vindictive spirit. Envy and strife always turns into that. Uh, a vindictive kind of spirit here. There's a bitterness to these folks. That is not apparent. They, I hope they don't take communion. You know because they are. Uh, they, they, their hearts are not right before the Lord. But you know what's amazing is. That city got. Got saved. And many million. I don't know millions but. Hundreds and thousands of people got saved, possibly some through some of that envious preaching. Why? Going back, because the word of God is not imprisoned. Jack just went through Jonah, right? If there was ever a reluctant preacher, it was Jonah, right? Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he was racist. He hated the Ninevites. Well, he had good reason. I mean, they, you know, they were pretty cruel people. King, uh, the kingdom of Assyria. He didn't want to go because he knew God was a gracious and merciful God. And he didn't want God to show grace to the Ninevites. So he ran. So God had him swallowed. And then he went reluctantly through the town. We better repent. And I um, mean, it was a it was not a great sermon, to be honest with you. Uh, and uh, guess what? They repented and Jonah resented it. But they repented. That's the power of the word of God. That's why we preach it. That's why we sing it. That's why we read it. That's why it's everywhere. Because where I will fail as a preacher, and I often fail as a preacher, the word of God will not return void. It's amazing. Sometimes, I, you know, 
on, on, it seems like whenever I have one of those sermons where I just think I just laid an egg up here, you know, I just, man, I just didn't have the, I just didn't have the unction and I just felt, you know, I don't know, I felt like I got all tongue-tied and, and everything else and couldn't remember, you know, Stormtroopers or Star Wars people. Uh, th- those are often the ones that said, boy, that really meant a lot to me today. You know, that really meant a lot. That's the kind of, that, I'm going to share that with my family. I'm going to send them that link to that sermon or that, you know. I think God does that intentionally to keep you humble in many ways. So he goes, in, he goes on to say, what then? You know, in other words, what should we think about so, something? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. Pretense is this principle of hypocrisy. Remember where that term hypocrisy comes from? In the old uh, Greek theater, they had masks of tragedy and comedy. And basically the actor is acting like somebody else. He's got a mask on. And that's what these preachers are doing. And yet he rejoices because the gospel was going out. They lacked good motives, but they had good content. We need to celebrate the success of other churches, even if they don't have exactly our theological bent on things. We we should celebrate when a good conservative Baptist church grows and where people are being converted. We should celebrate with that. We're not in competition with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is kind of what Paul is saying here. That's a good thing here. Let me just uh, look at the back of your bulletin. I'd like to call your attention to this every now and then. This is kind of sort of our our operating principle when it comes to worship. And this is sort of, you know, bulletin flyover territory. You don't read this every Sunday, but I think it's a good idea. Again, this is one of these things that we put out there in print to keep us from compromising note about worship this worship service is a worship of god not man we actually could stop there couldn't we therefore the order of worship is purposed in bringing glory to god not man the saints participation in the worship service is designed for all praise to go to god not to preachers musicians artists missionaries church leaders or children Decorum concerning dress, instrumentation, and presentations will assist in disallowing performances and enhance our awareness of God's admonition that all things be done properly and in an orderly manner. We rely upon the Holy Spirit to assist us in establishing an environment that encourages and advances our entry into the transforming presence of the living Lord Jesus Christ. I was gone the last two Sundays, and I got two really good preachers to be here in my stead. Jack? And Stacy Cox. And it's likely that those two sermons were better than the day's sermon. And you know what? I praise God for that. Because I have a responsibility as, as a shepherd of the flock to make sure that you're healthy. So I want you to be fed while I'm, go- while I'm gone. Now, if I was shrewder, <laughs> I'd, probably, I'd get some just hat preacher up here that made me look good. Right? You know? But that's not the point. I would like to get the best possible preachers to come in my stead on Sunday. I am not in competition with those men. Not in competition. What I'm going to be judged upon is your spiritual growth. So if I can do that with a Stacy Cox and a Jack Stauffer, praise God for that. That ought to be our attitude in, in everything. So Paul's optimism here is a lesson to us to, to, to avoid any sort of self-pity moaning, groaning, complaining. You remember the Hebrews in the wilderness were, were struck because of whining, complaining, any form of insecurity, cynicism, negativity, jealousy, fear, anxiety. 
All of those things we need to work out. And it's harder the older you get. You become a little jaded, a little negative. But all you're doing is betraying the fact that you're not really putting faith in God. You're not really putting hope in God. Paul's example of selfless humility shows that the worst circumstances are the greater your joy can be. I'm going to give you a great example here. B.B. Uh, Warfield was a Princeton theologian and amazing beard model. Uh, he married Anne Pierce Kincaid on August 3rd, 1876. She was descended from Revolutionary War General George Rogers Clark of the Lewis and Clark Expedition. If you use this family restroom, there's a picture of her granddaddy above the toilet. Probably didn't need to be said, but anyway, everybody's going to be rushing to that restroom. Um, she was well-educated, especially for the times. She was described as brilliant, witty, and beautiful. They got married, and they went on a honeymoon to Europe. While in Germany, there was a terrible lightning storm, and she, she developed a phobia over the whole thing. She, some say that she actually was struck by lightning. She developed a condition called neurasthenia, which is a psychological disorder characterized by chronic fatigue, witness, and generalized aches and pains. And she basically became an emotional and physical invalid for the rest of her life. And this happened on the honeymoon. B.B. Warfield, though he was a world-renowned scholar, was never more than just uh, away from her for a couple of hours. He was, his, he was her caregiver for the rest of their married lives because of the difficulties that she had. They started off with these great hopes, and on the very honeymoon, those hopes were dashed. And yet, B.B. Warfield, taking a lesson from the Apostle Paul, said this, In the infinite wisdom of the Lord of all the earth, each event falls with exact precision into its proper, pl proper place in this unfolding of his eternal plan. Folks, let's be done away with the cynicism, the complaining, the gossip, the everything else that comes along with this. And let us be the, those that just trust in the love of our Lord and in faith endure the prison, the cancer, the broken hearts, and all the other difficulties that we have to go through. Lord, I do pray, God, that you would help us to go to school here on the Apostle Paul. We are so in a situation here, we see this word and we hear this sermon. We think, I can do that. And we will be tempted to, to do away with this on the drive home. We are so prone to, to not trust you, to not have faith, to, to want to get sympathy from others. But Lord, if a people, a people of God rise up to where they could even have joy in prison, joy in jail, what could you do with a church of people who did that, who acted that way, who shone with faith and a desire to glorify God no matter what? I pray, God, that you would help us to stand firm and to have joy, even if it means jail or whatever it means like jail. In Christ's name, amen.